Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser. Morning, Yusuf. I must apologize for my voice uh, today. I sound a bit different. Maybe I shouldn't do much singing these days. (laughs) Well, it's always sexy voice, Yusuf, uh, and it's even more husky today, so maybe <laughs> well, we can try and make some money. Yes, we should consider that. Um, Nasser, uh, today, uh, this week's episode will be dedicated to another Palestinian humanitarian crisis, mm-hmm. as if, you know, we, uh, we, have, well, we don't, we have, don't enough. have enough. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the, 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 the birthright of the Palestinian is challenge, it's mm-hmm. adversity, mm-hmm. it's uh, dehumanization, it's uh, pain, it's suffering, but it's also dignity. Indeed, and it's, it's, this is another reminder that the Nakba is ongoing. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-off event or catastrophe that happened 70 years ago, and now we live in the aftermath. It is happening every day. Now, the crisis we're talking about is inside Syria this time, yeah. and uh, we are revisiting the tragedy of Yarmouk camp and the areas in the southern part of Damascus. And we will talk about what happened to the families who stayed in Yarmouk until the last day of its destruction. Well, uh, Yusuf, I think firstly, I mean, we've spoken about Yarmouk before, and I know the work that we've done with Aspire has been uh, dedicated to many Palestinian refugees. But the crisis we spoke about before, we we should go back and uh, remind our audiences to Yarmouk and its uh, importance to uh, Palestinian refugees, but also where it sits as a refugee camp post-48 to the Palestinians that were ethnically cleansed from Palestine. Yep. Well, Yarmouk, uh, Nasser, as you know, and most of our listeners know, is uh, a refugee camp inside Damascus, in the southern part of Damascus. Um, Like any other refugee camp, uh, the inhabitants of today's camps are the grandsons and the descendants of refugees who were driven out from Palestine in 48. We, we, we know that some of them um, were internally displaced in Palestine and others fled to the Arab countries uh, like Lebanon and Syria. And uh, those who went to Syria, we're talking about around 100,000 people in 48. The majority of those who stayed in Damascus went to Yarmouk when it was first built in 1957. And there started another chapter of Palestinian diaspora. It was unique to other Palestinian refugee camps in its importance. First, 
and its population and location, but also that it actually supported the Palestinian revolution with youth, with uh, everything pretty much. Well, it's a very nationalistic uh, very nation- I mean, the names of the streets. Uh, I mean, we'll talk, we've spoken many times because I know you've been there about the, the culture and the yep. food and the, the, the commerce. Everything inside Yarmouk camp reminds you of Palestine. They created their imaginary Palestine uh, in uh, the southern part of uh, Damascus. The streets, like you said, Nasser, are named after their hometowns and villages. Um, the graffiti is on the wall, the pictures, the symbols, and the, even even the, the Palestinian dialect. So we're talking about the cultural hub, but also a thriving, a thriving camp that was um, home for not only Palestinians, but also economically marginalized Syrians who could not afford uh, uh, rents in, uh, in in Damascus. On top of that, Yarmouk was also home for um, the Iraqi refugees. So up before the Syrian crisis, the population of Yarmouk was 1.2 million people. The Palestinians were nothing more than 300,000. Mm-hmm. So for that, Yarmouk camp deserved the title the capital of Palestinian diaspora, Asimat al-Shatat al-Falastini, because of its symbolic value and because many of the Palestinian leaders um, are actually buried there. Uh, Khalil al-Wazir Abu Jihad spoke about him on the show and many, many, many other uh, leaders. So the Syrian crisis begins. The Palestinians within Yarmouk are in a no-win situation. Yeah. So yeah. choose the side, the, the, the decision is made that they will be non-partisan. Yeah. We're not going to support anybody. Leave us alone. We've got enough misery to deal with, having to educate our kids with the pittance that UNRWA gives us. Um, leave us out of your domestic situation. We've been used as um, a negotiating stick, as a flogging horse for too many for too long. Just leave us out of it. Mm-hmm. And this, sadly... This was their biggest crime, unfortunately, because imp- there is no room so for clear, impartiality. The, the, the crime... Isn't a crime. The it's crime a was crime. A, a crime from both sides, whether you were the government or uh, opposition. The opposition, whatever ISIS or whomever it might be. Yeah. Because you're not with us, you must be with them, and therefore you must suffer. Indeed, uh, that you have put it precisely, Nasser. Um, in civil wars, both parties want to involve color, every color in the spectrum, and the Palestinians were not um, the exception. To add. Uh, to it, the, the, the strategic location of Yarmouk, because if you control um, Yarmouk, then you control the southern part of Damascus and also the gateway uh, to Reef Dimashq, uh, rural Damascus. Uh, so the strategic location and also the symbolism of the Palestinian card is important. And the most important refugee camp in Syria is Yarmouk. So Yarmouk was targeted by by opposition since day one, and of course by by the regime. Uh, uh, well, they forces. took it in turns murdering the Palestinians. So and, we've and never the, had a friend there. No. Um, the turning point, Nasser, was in December 2012 when um, opposition took hold of Yarmouk and the response of um, the regime was brutal. It targeted Yarmouk with MiG uh, jet fighters and we know that when you target any place with jet fighters, the destruction will be on large scale, not to mention targeting refugee camps. Particularly Abdul Qadir al-Husseini Mosque and al-Fallujah School. And it resulted in the reduction of the population of Yarmouk from, like we said, 1.2 million 
to about 200,000 over less than a week. Wow. Due to first uh, the extremely big uh, number of human casualties and the large scale of destruction, but also uh, due to uh, the rumors that spread in the camp that what happened uh, to these two targets might happen to other areas uh, in the camp. Now, some of those Palestinians decided to stay, Yusuf, having mm. been uh, one of the realities what 48 taught many Palestinians was you don't leave. You don't leave. You're better off dying in your home than getting displaced because you're then not you going to get, come, get to come back. And also lose your dignity on the, the journey. Dignity. Some of those Palestinians decided to stay, regardless of the bombings, the murder, loss of their income, their families, their friends, their ability to provide sustenance to their children and education. They decided to stay. Mm-hmm. Now, for that, they've created a new level of pain and punishment, a new subset for Palestinians. Exactly, Nasser. You're talking about six years of layers and layers of injustices. It started by putting the refugee camp under tightened siege because, yes, there are um, opposition forces inside the camp, but the um, Al-Assad forces were controlling the outskirts, and therefore there was tightened siege. It then led to the tightened hunger, and we all remember, Nasser, uh, we protested against the hunger of Yarmouk in 2013, Mm -hmm. and the hunger resulted in the death of more than 220 Palestinians. Um, Nevertheless, they stayed there, they created their unprecedented means of survival. One thing I want to highlight is that they included education in their definition of survival. They created parallel education because, unfortunately, UNRWA left the Yarmouk camp immediately after it was targeted in December 2012 and neglected its, uh, the refugees and neglected its moral and legal responsibilities towards these people. So life is not going to stop. And you know the value, Nasser, of education for the Palestinian family. They created parallel education system. And eventually, these these uh, schools, if we can call them schools inside the areas that are taken under Titan siege, uh, were recognized by UNRWA uh, for, for their high standards of education. So they, they've seen siege, uh, hunger, and then ISIS. ISIS came to the camp in 2015. And uh, you can imagine, Nasser, uh, how life looked like uh, under the rule of ISIS and under the siege of another army that is as ruthless. I've seen the vision. And I I lost one of my relatives um, by an ISIS sniper for simply trying to look for uh, some food for his family, and he he had to be buried uh, in, 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 in the garden of the mosque. You cannot even access cemeteries uh, during during the siege. Um, and nevertheless, some of the Palestinians stayed there because, like you said, Nasser, they didn't want to repeat what happened in '48. Mm-hmm. And um, the last chapter was the eradication of terrorism. Now, between brackets, uh, and basically defeating ISIS with no consideration to the civilians who stayed. And, um, we well, the determination, Yusuf, as we, we spoke about before, was this is a hotbed or a, a, of terrorism, an incubator of terrorism. Yep. And therefore, if you're there, according to the regime, uh, the, the government, and ISIS is there, anybody that's there is ISIS, so we can... It's a free opportunity to kill and maim and destroy anything that is in there. Absolutely, Nasser. Unfortunately, um, this it, it was an automatic justification that you are the enemy of the state under the pretext of fighting terrorism.
Mm-hmm. And so, so, so the destruction of Yermok um, was, complete. Was, was complete. And we've seen the last um, two weeks of um, April and the first week of um, um, May, May, a complete carpet bombing, what they call carpet bombing. They didn't leave any inch of uh, Yarmouk undestroyed. Mm-hmm. The irony is that it coincided with the Nakba yeah. uh, anniversary, the 71st anniversary of Nakba. Now, the result is complete destruction. Yeah. So, so th- those Palestinians that did stay, Yusuf, mm-hmm. And survived the deprivation and the starvation that survived ISIS, survived the carpet bombings. Where are they now, Yusuf? We're talking about around 700 families who stayed in Yarmouk camp. And you can add to them some of the Palestinians who lived in uh, other areas in southern Damascus. But there is another wave of refugees that were added to them from other non-Yarmouk areas Mm -hmm. for the same reason. Uh, They were caught in in, in, in the war in, let's say, Dar'a in Handarat, in Homs, in Aleppo, uh, and we have to mention uh, a Nairab refugee camp. We also have to mention a Ramel refugee camp near Latakia. We have to mention Dar'a refugee camp in Dar'a. So what happened in Yarbouk happened in these areas in different details. So these people were viewed by the state, by the regime as, you know, like you said, Nasser, incubator mm. of terrorism. Or complicit. Or complicit. You're with us or you're against us. I mean, and this is a Western tribe, you know, George W. Bush. You're with us or you're against us. Yes, black and white. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they were viewed as you're against us and yeah. um, they were forcibly removed from uh, from their homes, their destroyed homes, I should say. Um, and they were sent to um, as part of the, what they call the agreements with between the regime and the opposition. And they were sent to opposition-held areas. So, so... Uh, physically today, we've got somewhere between two and a half thousand and maybe five or six thousand Palestinian refugees mm. from any number of refugee camps, mm. from a once thriving community of three hundred thousand that swelled to one point two million after the devastation of Iraq. Now we've got these these people haven't made it out to Jordan or Lebanon or Turkey or to any any other countries in the West or uh, East. Um, these Palestinians now are. Where are they physically now? Um, they are in rural Aleppo areas in four refugee camps. One is called Azaz, uh, named after a village near um, Aleppo called Azaz, close to the Turkish border. Mm-hmm. Another one is called Der Balut. Now, Der Balut is much worse than Azaz. We'll talk about the situation inside mm-hmm. these camps. And there are two other uh, refugee camps. So there are in four um, makeshift uh, or rural camps uh, to the north of uh, Syria. I must uh, mention, Nasser, that we're talking about, uh, um, yes, around 750 families from the Armouk camp and other areas in the southern part of Damascus, but you have to add to them the non-Damascus Palestinians, like we said, from from Homs and from Aleppo and from Dar'a. So we're talking about 1,100 uh, to 1,200 Palestinian families. The population is more than 4,000 people. Also, one thing we should mention is the treatment of the neighboring countries uh, when it comes to the freedom of movement to Palestinians. But before before we go there, Yusuf, let's, mm-hmm. let's just stay in Azaz and, and Balut. Yeah. The, the reality, you, know, you said makeshift camps. These are Palestinians that went from, I mean, anybody who'd been to um, Yarmouk, let's just stay in Yarmouk for a moment, let's say 10 years ago, yeah. in as normal conditions as a Palestinian might ever expect. Yeah. It was almost normal. It was normal. I mean, you didn't have a travel it, document, it, it but you ma- could get arrested and interrogated at any one time, and being arrested and interrogated by Assad means, you know, certain death, mm-hmm. um, slash re-education, and, you know, if you did make it out, you were never the same again. 
we've gone from, if you will, the best situations that Palestinian refugees can encounter, you know, more mm. 10 years ago, mm. to again makeshift camps. So we're talking tents. We're talking uh, big tents. Now they separated the families. Uh, males were taken to this side and the women and children uh, were taken to other side. And they we're talking about big tents that, you know, there's no family tents. And at least our grandfathers had family, had the luxury mm. of family tents. Now they're separated. No so running water, they, no electricity. No, there's no electricity, no running water. There's daily, they, daily food and water supply uh, that's coming from either Turkish um, uh, charity organization in, in coordination with the opposition mm-hmm. and the Turkish government. Um, but in terms of electricity, in terms of sewage, in terms of infrastructure, the, it, it, it's a luxury. So we're, it's a luxury. We're doing a time machine going back 70 years. Even w- way before 70 years. Yeah. At, um, and w- this is Azaz now. Derbalut, for a reason, is in much worse situation um, uh, in terms of infrastructure. And um, only two days ago, the people of Derbalut protested against the administration of the camp because they, they, they saw some forms of injustice. Because you're talking about layers and layers mm-hmm. of injustice and maybe some issues of corruption and things like that. So even the last time they received drinking water was 10 days ago. And um, they protested against and, and that. And the response was also, again, um, 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 brutal by, by whoever is controlling these areas. So um, let's stay in, in, in Derbalut. Who, who's running it? Is it UNRWA? Is it opposition? No, is it Turkish? It's a very good question, Nasser. UNRWA, it reminds me to reiterate um, the responsibility of UNRWA. Yes, we know that UNRWA is facing financial difficulties due to the American uh, policy and de- not paying its share to the United Nations, including UNRWA. Um, yes, we know that, but it does not uh, negate the fact that they have moral responsibility. They didn't even try to reach them. We don't know how many exactly because nobody actually went there and did the counting and registered the names. So we, we have approximate numbers of mm. refugees. So UNRWA have neglected the ex-Yarmouk uh, internally displaced Palestinians. And there is also discriminatory policy between this group and other groups of Palestinians. For example, those who stayed in other areas of Damascus and those who uh, went to uh, Lebanon mm-hmm. in terms of the um, bi-monthly payment. Yeah. So we can mention more details later, but UNRWA is not there. Yeah. So who's running the camps? Um, opposition held uh, forces, but that's not. we have to say that this is not Nusra, this is not ISIS. So this is what the, um, the international community call moderate uh, opposition in collaboration with, with Turkish uh, charity organizations like uh, Afad and uh, Maram. Okay. So but Turkey still um, has a, both Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan now have their uh, own particular <coughs> rules with respect to a, refugees from uh, Syria, but then B, Palestinian refugees. Exactly. Um, the the rules in, when it comes to allowing Palestinians uh, or, or holders of Syrian travel documents, what we call Wathaq Safar Suriya, and to explain this quickly to our listeners, travel document is not a passport. It's a para-passport, and it's given by the authorities to the Palestinian refugees. It's given by the Syrians to the Palestinian Syrians, and also by the Egyptians to the Palestinian Egyptians and by Iraq 
to the Palestinian Iraqis. And the same goes in Lebanon. So the holders of these para-passports or travel documents were banned from entering Jordan, banned from entering Lebanon, and from entering uh, Turkey. These discriminatory policies were taken by these three countries a few weeks after the eruption of the civil war in Syria in 2011, in contrast to the treatment of Syrian refugees by these three countries. So we're talking about black and white discrimination. Now, Turkey, while it actually um, provided uh, the the camps with some form of charity, but it still prevents the Palestinians from entering. And we have to mention Hala al-Mahmoud, 15-year-old Palestinian uh, uh, teenager who was shot dead by the Turkish uh, border police while trying to cross the border with her family. So this is just one example that represents what happened to tens and, other, and, and maybe hundreds of Palestinians and Syrians who tried to cross the border in the last two years. The Turkish police did not target Hala because she's Palestinian, but they they apply zero tolerance towards entering um, the border by either Syrians or um, Palestinians as of December 2016. And anyone who tried to infiltrate through these borders will be shot dead. Unfortunately, the Palestinians who tried, we've seen um, more more examples than Hala. Mm. The depravity and uh, inhumanity continues, Yusuf. The inhumanity in denying Palestinian refugees at the door before Turkey closed the door, before Lebanon and Jordan did as well. The reality, and there can be nothing, you can put it down to no other reason but economics. Hmm. Because the Palestinians are funded through UNRWA and not UNHCR, the reality is that these three governments know how fickle... UNRWA funding is, hmm. how challenged it can be, and what has borne out because we know what Donald Trump is doing, trying to blackmail and uh, force uh, the Palestinians into submission with, uh, with defunding UNRWA. That Turkey, Lebanon and Jordan are complicit with Donald Trump now by denying the Palestinians. It's purely an economic reason hmm. because they're going to have to pay for those refugees themselves if UNRWA doesn't and UNRWA can't and won't. Is the uh, a standard Syrian... They were, they're going to get UNHCR money, which is under no threat. Totally agree, Nasser. Now, they, these three countries know that um, they will be stuck with the Palestinians when mm-hmm. it comes to international aid, especially that UNRWA is going through difficulties and has been for the last, for, forever, you know, yeah, yeah. even years. <laughs> especially in the last decade. Yeah. Now, but I must add also another reason, because the Palestinian refugees are living reminder of the failure of, of the Arab regimes in, yeah. in, in 48. Absolutely. And, and therefore, this is what Edward Said explained um, in, in, in one of his books, the non-welcoming attitude of some Arab regimes towards Palestinian refugees is attributed greatly also in addition to economic reasons to the fact that this is a living reminder of the failure of the Arabs in preventing the creation of Israel in '48. Now, whatever the reason is, we also have to highlight the fact that this group of people, whether inside Syria, like internally displaced, or whether those who made it somehow to Lebanon or Egypt or Turkey, uh, are treated as second-class refugees mm-hmm. because these mainstream refugees, the Syrian refugees, have access to registration and protection and resettlement by the UNHCR. Mm-hmm. The Palestinians of Syria don't yeah. have access to that simply because the UNHCR tells them you are part of UNRWA and that you cannot be part of two UN bodies. And when they do go to UNRWA in Lebanon, for example, 
uh, UNRWA tells them, sorry, we are overloaded and underfunded. And it could take us hours and hours to talk about the treatment of Palestinian Lebanese in Lebanon. Uh, they're living standards that are way below human standards. So, by the way, the UNRWA is not protection and resettlement. UNRWA is relief and work. And therefore, the ex-Syria Palestinians have fallen through the cracks of laws of these two UN bodies. And the result is very negative and it affects the livelihood of thousands of Palestinians of uh, from Syria. Well, we shouldn't say livelihood in the sense of a, a vocation, but no. in, in the sense that their, their ability to live. Survival, I, would, survival, I should say, yeah, not should livelihood. Say survival. Yeah, yeah. survival is the right word, you're right. So we, we also have to understand that uh, three weeks ago, um, the Syrian authorities issued a list of 8,000 detainees who were declared dead in prison. Uh, among these 8,000, there are 557 Palestinians. This group of people who were tortured to death and disappeared for some for more than six years um, were civilians, none of them carried weapons, none of them uh, took part in militant confrontation. Um, these people have family, they have relatives, they have neighbors, they have friends. Um, they published their names and they started sharing stories about how they disappeared. Um, we mention Hassan Hassan, a Palestinian YouTuber from Yarmouk who showed us the culture of Yarmouk beautifully, um, the wedding parties in Yarmouk, um, the the internal jokes um, that were going through Yarmouk. Um, we also mentioned Niraz Saeed, a Palestinian photographer who was awarded by international uh, media. So these people were civilians. And and these these people went to the, the Assad gulags and were... And disappeared, know, disappeared for six years. And now Al-Assad said, that, well, by the they way, had heart attacks. They didn't say they were tortured to death. They told their families uh, that they had is- heart issues and lung issues and didn't, didn't give the uh, dead bodies. There's no burial as well. Yeah. So where we are today, Nasser, we are um, in another crisis, humanitarian crisis, that's affecting um, more, more than 1,100 um, Palestinian uh, families. Mm-hmm. And uh, these families are the grandsons of refugees. And granddaughters. And, and granddaughters. And probably even great and great 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 so we're talking third and fourth generation of palestinians who will continue to pay the price of statelessness pay the price of being palestinian because the international community failed to acknowledge the importance of having a just and peaceful and continues continues to fail in its obligation to uh, deliver on the promise of a palestinian state where 70 years past the establishment of Israel as a Jewish homeland, the world is complicit, the United Nations is complicit, the Arab governments that stood idly by mm. and continually allow mm. now, you know, six, seven million Palestinians to maintain uh, their, I mean, the depravity of living, statelessness to yeah. living as a refugee in, you know, forlorn camps with, uh, you know, poor services, lack, you know, the lack of opportunity in jobs, education, travel documents, the just hostage mm. to the benevolence and the whims of um, dictators and kings and autocrats. Now, sir, two points before we leave this sad topic. Uh, first, in uh, early 2013, and in response to uh, the flight of Palestinian Syrians, 
President Mahmoud Abbas um, tried to resettle some of them in the Palestinian territories via the United Nations, uh, Ban Ki-moon. Uh, Ban Ki-moon went to Netanyahu. Netanyahu said that's fine, but only if they agree to forego in right their right of return to their original hometowns and villages. Of course, uh, President Abbas rejected that villain uh, proposal and it ended there. The other point uh, was recently, the most recently, that's something I only heard a few days ago from them, that the, there was an offer by Israel to help resettle them uh, in Europe um, if they issue a statement of gratitude to Israel, uh, thanking Israel for its efforts. And of course, 110% of them said F you to Israel. We're not going to accept to Mr. Netanyahu. And just, just to close off, Yusuf, we just want to remind our listeners about the upcoming APAN event on Tuesday, Palestinian <clears throat> Children's Experiences with the Military Court System. A reminder that on Tuesday, August the 21st, at 6.30 p.m. at the Ibis Hotel, uh, we've got uh, uh, Salwa Dubois and Jared Horton, who are the co-founders and directors of Military Court Watch, which is an organization focused on supporting and advocating for the rights of Palestinian children living under Israeli military occupation. Jared Horton is an Australian lawyer, a barrister, who gave up a thriving practice in Sydney to go work in Palestine and document the atrocities of you know, children as young as 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 being dragged out of their beds in the middle of the night, um, questioned in a foreign language, forced to sign confessions in a foreign language without legal representation, without their parents being present, and the 99.5% uh, conviction rate of the Israeli military uh, apparatus. So please go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au. And uh, we'd love to see you there Tuesday night, August 21. A very important event indeed and special offer to our listeners. Yeah, yeah, Yusuf. So if our listeners email jessica at apan.org.au, jessica at apan.org.au, send her an email and say that you heard this advertisement on 3CR and we'll, you'll get a free ticket. So we've got 10 of those to give away. Excellent. The first 10, so hurry. With this um, devastating um, coverage, of uh, another black chapter of the Palestinian uh, uh, suffering. We've come to the end of uh, this week's edition of Palestine Remembered. Thank you for uh, being with us. And uh, remember to tune in next uh, Saturday, uh, same time, 9.30 in the morning. Thank you, Nasser. Thanks, Yusuf.